Hey everyone, it's Ashton. Welcome back to the Haunted Corner. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday weekend. Today I have a very special episode for you guys. This is Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1. This was a Patreon exclusive from November, and I'm excited to share it with you all. Part 2 will be available only on Patreon, so if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to head over to Patreon and join us at the $1 per month level on up. Not only will you be supporting the show and helping us grow, you'll have access to part two of Cruise Ship Disappearances, plus the Patreon-exclusive episodes that are added monthly, and you'll have access to upcoming episodes early. So head on over there after this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome to the first Patreon exclusive episode of the Haunted Corner podcast. If you're listening to this episode, thank you for your support. Today we're going to be diving into something that has intrigued me and kept me up at night. I've been on a few cruises before and while I did really enjoy them, there is an isolation that you feel when you're at sea, especially at night that you really just can't explain. On average, approximately 200 people go missing from cruise ships each year. And these are the stories of just a few of them. The first disappearance that we'll be discussing today is Ariel Marion. On September 16th, 2012, Ariel, who was 16 at the time, embarked on a seven-day Royal Caribbean cruise with her mother, Vera Marion. It was their very first cruise, and it was an award from Vera's job for her job performance. Ariel was celebrating something at the time as well. She was looking forward to a new modeling job that she had just gotten. The mother and daughter duo were sharing a cabin with a balcony on deck 11 and they were part of a group of about 600 people. The two women attended a reception to celebrate the beginning of the cruise, and this reception ended around 6.30 p.m., at which point they decided to go back to their room. Around 8 o'clock p.m., Ariel told her mother that she was going to go to the pool while her mother took a quick nap before a dinner meeting that she had scheduled for 8.30 p.m. with members of the group. She woke from her nap and headed to her dinner appointment, and then a call came in from a woman to the ship's emergency number, and she reported that she felt something or someone had fallen from the deck above her and brushed her arm as it passed by. While Vera was at dinner around 9.30 p.m., she was pulled aside by cruise ship personnel who began asking her if her daughter could swim and questioning her whereabouts that night. 
Her mother claims that she was asked to write out a statement, but she refused to. So then one of the security guards wrote out a statement and they insisted that she signed it. She was kept in a secluded area until they confirmed that her daughter had gone overboard approximately 47 miles off the coast of Fort Lauderdale. She was then put in a wheelchair and kept in a room that was barred from visitors. So she was forced to move to another cabin and was denied access to her personal belongings for the remainder of the trip. Vera claims that that night there were a few employees at the reception who were showing interest in Ariel and asking to meet her later on. An emergency call was not put out until 11.30 p.m., according to the U.S. Coast Guard's report on the search. The official search began at 1.20 a.m. The search was ultimately called off on September 18th, and no sightings of Ariel have been reported since. Her mother believes that had the cruise line acted faster, she may have been able to be rescued. An FBI investigation is currently ongoing, but as of today, there's no new information on her disappearance. The next disappearance that we'll be discussing is George Allen Smith. George Allen Smith was 26 years old when he married the love of his life of three years, Jennifer Hagel, and the two set sail on a 12-day Mediterranean cruise on the Royal Caribbean Brilliance of the Seas for their honeymoon. The cruise was stopping in Italy, Turkey, and Greece, among a few other locations. On July 5, 2005, after eating dinner with his new wife aboard the ship, it's thought that George fell overboard somewhere in the middle of the ocean between Greece and Turkey. There was evidence that suggested foul play was involved after blood was found inside the cabin as well as on the side of the ship, indicating that George may have fallen or been pushed overboard and drowned at some point early that morning. The police immediately suspected homicide, and the FBI announced that they would be assisting in the investigation on July 29, 2005. The family claims that they weren't notified that the Turkish police were conducting a criminal investigation or that there were suspicious circumstances surrounding George's disappearance. They also claim that there were eyewitness reports of fighting in his room. The next port after George's disappearance was Kusadasi, Turkey, and Royal Caribbean ultimately did not lock down the cruise ship. Crew members and passengers were allowed to roam the ship as usual, as if nothing had happened. According to witnesses, Smith's disappearance was preceded by a night of heavy drinking and gambling in the ship's casino. A passenger in a neighboring room said he heard men arguing on the Smith's balcony that night, while another passenger claimed to hear furniture being moved. Jennifer was found passed out in the hallway and did not remember anything that happened that night. In June of 2006, Jennifer accepted compensation set at $1.1 million from Royal Caribbean. However, Smith's family later challenged the terms of the settlement as well as the amount of the compensation. 
His family has offered a $100,000 reward for information leading directly to an arrest and conviction in the case. Smith's disappearance has led to wider interest in passenger rights on cruise ships. In 2013, the Cruise Lines International Association introduced a Bill of Rights that the CEO and President Christine Duffy said, quote, codifies many longstanding practices of CLIA members and goes beyond those to further inform cruise guests of the industry's commitment to their comfort and care, end quote. That same year, Smith's parents backed a bill co-sponsored by U.S. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Jay Rockefeller, which was called the Cruise Ship Passenger Protection Act. And this bill would allow for greater transparency when crimes are committed on cruise ships and more federal government protection of passengers' rights. Ultimately, nothing was ever found regarding George Allen Smith and his parents and family members still wonder what happened to this day. The next disappearance that we'll be discussing today is Rebecca Coriam. Rebecca Coriam was born on March 11, 1987 in Chester, England. She joined the British Army cadets in her teens and attended Plymouth University, where she studied sports science. In June of 2010, a 23-year-old Rebecca was interviewed in London for a position with Disney Cruise Line. She was hired over hundreds of other applicants and received four months of training at Disney facilities in Florida. She then worked for four months on cruises to and from the Bahamas and then returned to Britain for two months. Her next assignment was working with other young people on board the Disney Wonder which was based in Los Angeles. She was on board the ship when it left, for, left the port for a Mexican cruise on March 21, 2011. She sent a message via Facebook to her parents in Britain that she would call them the next day. When her mother didn't hear from her, she became really concerned. Rebecca was captured by CCTV around 5.45 a.m. in the crew lounge. She was having a phone conversation that appeared to be causing her to become pretty upset. A young man walked up to her and asked if everything was all right. She clearly replied, quote, yeah, fine, after which she hung up. And that would be the last time she would be seen alive. At nine o'clock that morning, Corium had missed the start of her shift. She was not anywhere on the ship. They looked in her room, they looked everywhere, and she didn't, didn't respond to any pages over the ship's public address system. They found no signs of Rebecca at all. U.S. and Mexican Navy vessels searched international waters where the Wonder had been sailing, but they didn't find anything either. Three days after her disappearance, a detective from the Bahamas, where the Wonder is registered, actually flew to the ship to investigate. He reportedly spent several days on board, but nothing is known about what happened or what came of that investigation. Rebecca's parents, Mike and Anne Maria Coriam, 
flew from England to Los Angeles, where they met the, mon- the wonder upon its return to port. They said that they were brought on board only after passengers had disembarked. In early May of 2011, a few weeks after Rebecca's parents returned home, her bank sent them an email saying that someone had tried to gain access to one of her accounts on April 19th. The card was not among her possessions that were reclaimed by her parents, and these possessions included a pair of slippers, which reportedly were found near the crew pool. However, a crew member said that they were not the right size or style that Rebecca would wear. The Coriums agreed that they were too small for her, and they said that no forensics had ever been done on the pair of slippers. And I've seen slippers or flip-flops, and so I'm not sure if that's just translating differently or if they mean different things um, or if it's just a miscommunication. But in September of 2011, an uncle of Rebecca's said the password to her Facebook account had been changed, but it's not clear who logged in to change her Facebook password. There is also an article that I read that said that that October, a British journalist named John Ronson sailed on the Wonder and discreetly asked questions. Several crew members who had been on the ship at the time of Rebecca's disappearance spoke to him only on the condition of anonymity. They suggested that more was known about her fate than Disney or the Bahama police had publicly admitted. Bronson concluded that Rebecca, who was an avid jogger, had probably slipped and fallen while jogging along a deck for a track. However, none of the security cameras in that area showed any sign of her. A crew member did tell the journalist that Rebecca had gone overboard from the crew pool on deck five and that this was common knowledge on board. And they said, quote, Disney knows exactly what happened. Everything here is taped, end quote. There was a person whose name I saw as Melissa who had last seen Rebecca at 11 o'clock p.m. the previous night. She told Bronson that she believed that she had gone out to the crew pool, which was one of Rebecca's favorite places on the ship, and wanted to maybe be alone and relax for a little while. And while there, she might have climbed up and sat on the wall, and then she could have fallen over. And she said that Bex was a bit of a a risk taker. Melissa also didn't believe that the slippers that were allegedly found near the pool were Rebecca's. She said, quote, Mike and Ann showed them to me. They were too big. They weren't her style. They were pink and flowery and Hawaiian. I'd never seen her wear them. Why didn't Disney come to me or her girlfriend and say, can you identify these as Bex's, end quote? In 2016, Private investigators who were working for the family said that they had conclusively established that the footwear did not belong to the couple's daughter. 
Not only were they not in a style that she would have worn, they noted that they had another crew member's name and cabin number written on them. So her parents said that this led them to strongly doubt Disney's claim that they had been found in the pool area, as well as its theory that Rebecca was swept or fell overboard from there. It was also noted in the video of the phone call that Rebecca's clothes appear very large, and her friends and fellow crew have speculated that they may have been someone else's clothes, possibly a male's clothes. Her parents said, quote, we've never believed she simply disappeared overboard and drowned. Maybe she fell in the water and was picked up by a fishing boat. Maybe she lost her memory and is in a little village in Mexico. Maybe she was attacked. Maybe she was on board after all and got off, end quote. Ultimately, no further information regarding her disappearance has been found. It's really devastating for her family, who continues to wonder if she's still out there to this day. Her family has criticized the way the case was handled, and they're joined in this criticism by the British government. They claim that they have never received any updates from Disney regarding their, her disappearance. The family also claims that Disney broke protocol, protocol by not turning the ship around to go look for Corium. The captain gave searchers the wrong coordinates and employees weren't thoroughly interviewed about her disappearance. Ultimately, Rebecca's family is still waiting for answers. The final cruise ship disappearance that we'll be discussing in this episode is the disappearance of Christopher Caldwell. In July of 2004, Christopher Caldwell embarked on the carnival fascination with his fiancée, Crystal Tinder. Christopher worked for Astro DJs and he had three daughters. And the couple was planning on marrying in July of 2005. Christopher and Crystal went on the cruise to Mexico, and they seemed to be having a great trip up until the last night of the vacation. That last evening, which was July 23rd, 2004, Christopher and Crystal had gone to dinner with some friends that they met on the cruise. Everyone was having a good time. They had a few drinks, and they decided to hit up some of the nightclubs after dinner. Crystal then decided to head in for the night, but Christopher chose to stay in the casino for a while. He told her he would be back shortly, but he never returned to their cabin. The next day, when Crystal woke up at 6.30 a.m., she realized that he hadn't been back to their room, and she decided to go look for him. She checked all possible places where he might have been, and then she went to the information desk and had him paged over the intercom. Video surveillance cameras showed Chris leaving the casino at 2.17 a.m. Interviews were conducted, and the crew members revealed that a bartender saw Chris on the promenade deck at 3.30 a.m. And he claimed that Chris appeared to be very drunk at the time. So the bartender kind of just let him go on instead of escorting him back to his room. 
And this has drawn some criticism on the internet. It's presumed that Chris fell overboard about 14 miles southeast of the Cape Florida Lighthouse. The Coast Guard began an extensive search that lasted for more than 36 hours. During those searches, though, there was no signs of Chris. On the afternoon of July 24th, the Coast Guard called off the search and Chris was presumed to be dead. As of 2022, there have been no reported sightings of Chris and his body has never been recovered. Thanks for tuning in to the very first Patreon exclusive episode and part one of cruise ship disappearances. This is part one of two, so be, we will be back in a couple weeks for more. And I hate that there are more, but there are a lot more to discuss. So follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Regular episodes will be available in your feed on Mondays and Thursdays. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves and others. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.